So uh, this this um, this this talk this morning. Now I, wanna, I want to start where it's going to end. Is that okay? Because then you can fall asleep for the rest of it and know what's going to happen. Is that okay? But uh, the point of this talk this morning is about assurance, about knowing, beyond knowing, about knowing confidently. It's about knowing in a sort of deep way, which doesn't really get affected by by the ups and downs of life, the vicissitudes of life that we are God's kids, that we're saved, that we're loved, and we're secure. Amen? And, and it's actually, um, I, I think it's quite hard in some times as a Christian, when you live in a, you know, in, in a sort of church like this, and, and, and there's lots of people hearing and seeing things in the Spirit and all that stuff, and people being healed and stuff. I think sometimes it's quite hard to admit that actually we have, like, doubt sometimes. You know, at times when actually we think, oh, really? Right? And that's, I, I won't make you put your hands up because that would be embarrassing. But I think, I think I was encouraged this morning by randomly, the, the passage that was set in the book on prayer for um, the gospel reading this morning uh, was Matthew 4, the story of Jesus' temptation. And I hadn't actually link, made that link in my head preparing this stuff. But what are the temptations of Jesus? This is the first Sunday in Lent. Those who are Anglicans, this is the first Sunday in Lent. And if you're giving up coffee for Lent, you know it because you've got the shakes and you've got headaches and the bad-temperedness. My wife said to me yesterday, she said, is she here actually? No. And she said, uh, are you all right? I said, I've given up coffee. <laughs> what do you expect? I'm grumpy. I'll be grumpy for the next 10 days. Anyway, first Sunday in Lent. And what, um, what are the temptations? What does the devil try and tempt Jesus? Kathy, you, you've heard this. Where's Kathy? Where's she? Where's she's got? There you go, Kath. And Mike's heard it too. But, but what, 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 what are the temptations? What does the devil tempt Jesus with? Come on. Yeah, but what's the what's he say? He says, anyone know the first word of what he says? Come on, Kathy, what's the first word what he says? If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. He says it twice. The first two temptations are both, if you are the Son of God, then, yeah, there's that, I, like I said this morning again, it's a really weird bit. It says, Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. <laughs> it's like, you, that, those, those are three words just wasted in Scripture, really, entirely. You know, could be something else more useful in, like, I don't know, um, like how quantum physics works. That would be more useful, really. But, but, but he was hungry. And this is if you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. Both of them start like that. Both of them are testing that sense of, it, are you really who you know yourself to be? Now, Jesus is Jesus. Amen? That's the, that's the easy thing to say, isn't it? All right? He is the Lord, the Son of God, and even he, the way, the way Satan, he, he succeeds, doesn't, he doesn't give in to it, the temptation, but the way Satan thinks his weak point is, do you get, is if you are the Son of God. Are you really, this morning, a Christian? Are you really one of God's people? And sometimes I think that's, that, that we get there because, because of our sort of sense of, um, I don't know, uh, I, I always say Anglican churches say confession too often, you know, because we often come and say, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. I've failed. I'm, I, know I have. I know I have. And I'm very aware of that at times. I think sometimes that gets in the way of our assurance, our confidence that God loves us, has saved us, and that we are absolutely secure in that. And that's where we're going to land, okay? But we're going to go into Ephesians, 4, Ephesians 1, because Laurie told me to. I love the trust game, by the way. Um, Sam... Would you trust me to catch you? <laughs> Sorry, I'm not going to do it. 
I was, I was reminded, I was reminded, but whenever that happens, I always want to make the person do it. Do it. I remember when I was at university, I was go, used to go climbing quite a lot. I still do if I can. But my climbing mat at university, I called Mick Bowler. Um, and Mick Bowler was a f rugby front row. He was like sort of, you know, 6'5 and 17 stone, that sort of person, okay? And in those days, you didn't have, you, I mean, basically, we top roped a lot. He, like, and I always thought, I trust you to catch me, mate. If I fall, I trust you absolutely, you know? But I would sometimes wonder why you trust me, because <laughs> you know, if you do really fall, I'm going to, that's the belay secure, I'm going to come off the edge anyway. But trust, trust. And I thought, I was reminded of that, because, because again, it's a matter of, it's faith in the end, isn't it? What's your trust in? What's our confidence in? Our com my confidence that I am loved by God and so on is not in me, it's in God. A text. I didn't get here in time this morning to set it up myself. Here you go. So I'm going to read this. This is a little passage, quite short passage. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan. No, so you go through this. Don't read your eyes closed. Um, think. Chris is going to talk about our confidence in Christ, okay? Where's that stuff come? Come work with me. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who walks out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It's really quite dense writing. In fact, actually in Greek, the first 20 verses, not just this bit, in Greek, has got no, it's, it's one whole sentence. It just, gets, it just goes on and on and on. Participle, participle. Um, it's really quite dense. I'm going to look at two bits. I'm going to look at two bits, really. Next slide. Pick out the first bit. In Him, we also we were all oh, sorry. In Him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the, the plan of Him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Now, this is a, a tricky thing in a way intellectually. So you may have to leave your brain on one side a bit. All right. But the truth that we see in Scripture is part of the reason why we can have absolute confidence is because in the end, salvation is entirely God's doing, not ours. Right? It's utterly entirely what God has done. Now, we have to respond to that. I'll come to that in a second. But we, it's entirely God's initiative, God's doing, God starts and finishes and ends it. Therefore, it relies on him, not on me. If it relied on me, there's always a chance I don't quite get it right. But because it relies on him, I can be absolutely confident. The first thing I want to say about our confidence is the fact that Paul says it here in these words. In him we were chosen. If you go back, I think actually the next slide goes back to Ephesians last week. Oh, no. Oh, even further back. Uh, in the Old Testament, I, <laughs> no, no, that's fine. No, no, no. I, you're in charge, okay? I, you do the slides. I'll stick with you, okay? Is that all right? It'll keep me on task, okay? I've got no, I've lost my notes. I don't know where they are. I have no idea. Probably they're in church somewhere, okay? So this is good. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's not a New Testament thing. This idea of God choosing is not a New Testament thing. Those who there encounter last Sunday, um, I've I, I trapped into this accidentally. If you weren't there in council last Sunday, feel very guilty because you should have been. It was great, wasn't it, Kathy? Yes, it was. But anyway, if you were there last Sunday, because this is an Old Testament thing that, and it often strikes me, you know, in, in, it starts with Abraham, really, doesn't it? That's the people of Israel's thing. Israel knew they were chosen people. And, and it just says, and God spoke to Abraham. There's no, like, background to that at all. Why Abraham? Well, Abraham as he was then. 
mean, it doesn't seem a particularly good example of faith in many ways, although it eventually becomes there. Just as God chose. And Jesus, God's, in the Old Testament, people, Israel knew they were chosen people. And in this bit in Deuteronomy, it says, you're a cho- holy people. Holy means set apart, remember. Holy in both ways. Set apart to be a chosen people, to be a special people, but also holy in the terms of the way they live. Set apart in the way they live. Doing the right stuff. Obeying the commands and things. They didn't do very well in that, I know. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people of his own possession out of all the peoples of the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples. He just chose you. But notice it links to love. Notice he sa- it says here, his affection on you. He set his affection on you and chose you. God's election, God's choice, God's, God's choosing of us can't be divorced from God's love. His love reaches out and it's in love that he chooses. In Ephesians, back to the bit I was going to go to, go on, next slide. Just a bit earlier on in Ephesians, says this, this, is, this, is, this is just like mind-blowing, okay? He chose us in him before the creation of the world. Just hold, just hold that a second. Do you actually believe that? that, that I think how often, our, it's troubling to see, we've learned a bit these days how massive and awesome the creation is. But God is so much more massive and awesome that I don't think we get our heads around sometimes how awesome that is. It's just beyond thinking, really. And it, this is maybe this is like you know advanced Christianity. I don't know, but 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 Paul by revelation says we we can't work this out. This is by revelation is what God says that He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. That's that somehow the creation of the world is like a thing that happens. God somehow makes space, make make makes this bubble. It always seems to me almost as if God like separates out and says, in this area, I'm going to do this stuff, and we're going to somehow impart this sense of sort of free will and independence. And, and the whole idea of time, I think, is, is in that as well. I'm not sure time, I think time's a created thing and a sort of way into it. I, it just blows my mind. That, who shall I pick on? I can't pick on Mike, it's unfair, I picked you already, mate. That God knew you before the world was created. Isn't that amazing? And just wanted you to be here now, knowing Him, Jane. So I just, I was like, don't try and understand it. And whatever you do, don't try and make it work out with the other truth in the gospel that is absolutely true as well. That you have to choose to follow Jesus, right? The Bible, the New Testament, never tries to combine these things together. And I assume that's because they are both aspects of truth which we have to know, but not things that we can reconcile ourselves. And I want to. That is my, that's, that's the way my brain works. I want to bring things into alignment with each other. I want to understand how this fits with that. Do you get? But this truth I don't think does. Uh, sorry, I think it does, but we can't understand how it does. Uh, and it's just a little bit. So this passage has, that's back in Ephesians. It's throughout New Testament. Go through some of these verses now. Oh, oh no, don't. Stay there. Stay there. He chose us in him for the Christian of the world to be. You see, you see, the fact that God chose us doesn't mean we can do nothing. It's a chosen to something. He chooses us to be his people to declare his praise to the world, to bring his love and grace to the world. 
is to be holy and blameless. Whenever you see this in the New Testament, whenever you get this truth put up about the fact we're chosen, it almost always comes with something about the consequence, okay? It's not chosen just to be happy. It's chosen to be his people. It's chosen for an output. Uh, next one. Uh, I could almost anywhere for this. For those, this is Rome, Paul writing again in Romans in rather more technical language. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined, the idea before creation, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be, that he might be firstborn among many brothers, like Jesus is the first one, and we're his brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called, and those he called, he justified, and those justified, he glorified. But it starts with the fact that there's a chosenness. Next one. Where's that? Oh, Jesus himself. He says to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you, right? Perhaps it's more obvious in that case, the disciples. And I point you so that you might go and bear fruit. You see? You see, it's always the thing where you're chosen, yes, but for a purpose. Do you get? But the idea, if you get this straight, that which we're called by God and we're chosen by God, it shouldn't make us proud because it just means that we can do nothing. It's all him. It shouldn't make us presumptuous because it's all him. It shouldn't make us lazy. It should be a call to holy living if we get it right. But it's also an immense sense of security. Next couple, look through these a bit. But we are always to thank God for you, brothers, Paul says, uh, in Thessalonians. Loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. You see, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, again, same thing. Sanctifying means making you live like Jesus. Sanctification is about living the right life. It's about turning from being sinful and whatever to being loving, holy people. And believe in the truth. Oh, see, <laughs> believe in the truth. <laughs> belief. Belief is a human response to it. Okay, Neil, I'm sorry. I'm going to go back. Sorry. Go back right to the, uh, the, up, the second slide. I'm sorry, mate. You find the return key. That's it. That'll do. That'll do. Um, so I've got the thing about chosen. But then it goes on, la, 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 la. You were included in Christ when you, the message of truth. <laughs> and when you, you see, even in that section, even in that bit, although we've got the truth that God chose us, before the creation of the world, we still get the thing, you've got to hear the gospel. We need to tell people the truth about Jesus. How will they hear without a preacher? And when you heard the gospel, and then you've got to believe the gospel. You see, the two truths are so tight together, and yet they almost seem to be incompatible. Do you get me? Are you, who else worries about this other than me? Okay, I'll go on. Right? It's just, you know, I, the two are almost side by side in Scripture. And because they are both truths, we're called to hear the gospel and to believe. And in our commitment to believe, that's when we come into the community. Okay, Fat through again. Oh, good, bad. And next, so he's got this here, you see, it, through belief in the truth. <laughs> together, both things together again. Next. Uh, yeah, next one. To God's elect, Peter starts his letter. Scattered throughout the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Roman provinces in sort of Turkey now, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Christ Jesus. It's because of his blood. Okay, there's loads of those. So the first thing why I think, why I want to encourage you to be confident in the fact that you, that when you, as you became a Christian, and you came to know Jesus, 
that your identity is secure in him. That you are loved, you are saved, you're forgiven, your place is secure. It's because it's all of God. In the end, look from one perspective of eternity, it was never any different. It was always going to be like it is. God chose you before creation of the world. However, we also need a bit of a more sort of human thing sometimes. And that's the side where we know we responded in faith. I know the time when I heard the gospel and I responded in faith, when I believed. And Paul goes on in Ephesians, I think this bit is it? Click, click, oh, oh, uh, yeah, skip that. That's it. That's it. He goes on. Having said that, that when you believed, he says you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The second thing in this section that should encourage us to be secure and know is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's a much more like personal thing. It's not some big theological revelation argument about the cosmos. It's about me and Jesus personally. And the truth of the gospel, I, I contend, the whole New Testament, is when you believe in Jesus, when you become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. There may be times in your life when that becomes more evident and when you come into more of that truth, but it happens when you become a Christian. Everyone knows Jesus is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit, and you can't have the Holy Spirit without being Christian. They're synonymous. And, and Paul says it's like a seal. He's got two metaphors here, two metaphors that I quite like. One is, in fact, it's like a seal. Now, in my head, a seal is like, um, like a you know, metal thing. You make an imprint in, in wax to seal a letter. All right? Okay? And, uh, and it's that sense where, where Paul is saying it's as if the Holy Spirit seals you, right? marks you, ownership. When I get a letter from someone, it's sealed. I know it's not been tampered with. I know it's from that person. It's the seal like a mark of the person, isn't it? The great seal of England, all that stuff. The king does that on his letters and things. I don't know. Does he still do that? Anyone know? Does he still seal things? Does he? Does he? Okay, you're right. So he still has a great seal of England that does it. Um, and, and that's the Paul saying. It's a metaphor. The fact you, you know Holy Spirit. Now, let's be honest about this. Our experience of being respond, hearing God's Holy Spirit is up and down. There are times when it's very clear and times when it's not. But that's our problem. The truth is that I know Holy Spirit indwells me. I know I hear his voice. And I hear him prompting me, telling me to do stuff and not do stuff. Don't always respond right, but you know I hear the promptings. I hear his conversation. I hear that internal voice to me. I see that coming out when he prompts me to do something or say something, and it really works out as if God knew what was going to happen. <laughs> of course he does. And that's a seal. It's like God's marked me. Say, said, mate, you're mine. And then he's got a second metaphor, uh, a deposit guaranteeing. And deposits, you know what deposits are? You, you want to get something, you haven't got money at the time or whatever, so you put some money down and you say, here's some money, I'll come back later with the, with the rest of the money. Yep. Make sense? I'm told. Um, interesting by, byline in the, in the in the in the language uh, that the word used here is a word that's imported to Greek from Phoenician languages, from Phoenician traders who trade around the Mediterranean, uh, and the Greeks got this word because they would like make a deal with some Syro-Phoenician trader to su supply some silks or whatever, and they'd pay a down payment. They'd pay some money up front, right? A deposit, and then the traders would go and get the stuff and bring to wherever, to Athens or wherever, and then they paid the deposit, the rest of when they got it. Right? Simple metaphor. It's a deposit 
of showing of what God's going to do. Paul says, we now see through a glass dimly, then we'll see face to face. It's a deposit, a down payment of God saying, this, you, you, I'm going to live in you, and ultimately that's where you're going to be. Your life will be hidden in me. And it will be complete and full. In fact, well, there's a phrase here which they all argue about. If you look at different, uh, where's it gone? Oh dear. Uh, here we are. The promised Holy Spirit. I'm on there. If you look at different translations in English, sometimes it says different things because because the the Greek doesn't doesn't. It could be say the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit that promises. Do you get? Rather than the promised Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is promised. Was promised by Jesus, but it's also the Holy Spirit of promise. The promise that. God will fulfill this deal with us, right? That I'm his forever. I'm not just a follower of Jesus now, though I am. But I'm a follower of Jesus for eternity. And my security in that, I want to encourage you this morning to know that as long as you've someone who's come in faith and believed in Jesus, Holy Spirit comes to live in you. That's a deposit, a seal, a guarantee. That tells you that's the truth. But know also that ultimately, looked from a different perspective, it was never, ever in doubt and will never, ever be in doubt that you this morning are one of God's kids and he loves you. Unless, of course, you never came to make the step. Because from our point of view, we still have to hear the gospel and respond in faith. Those two things, I'm not going to try and reconcile. I see them both in Scripture, and they're both true. But then there's a lot of things like that. When you look from one point of view, it looks slightly different to another point of view, aren't there? The same truth looks different, which is the way you look at it. The classic one that people talk about is that thing about tapestries. You know, on the front are beautiful, on the back they're a mess. You know what I mean by that? Yeah? I often think that's like sometimes like um, our house. If you come into our house as a guest, you'll find it very tidy in the hall. If you open any of the cupboards, nightmare, stuff will fall out everywhere. Okay? <clears throat> uh, and 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 there's I, I'm not worried about that at all. I'm annoyed that I can't understand it, <laughs> but I'm not worried about it. When did you ever think you'd understand God? When did you ever think you'd be able to get your head around it? We sang this morning at nine o'clock, and can it be? There's a verse in that hymn, "Tis mystery all." The immortal dies. You know we believe. It's true, and it works, and it's absolutely right. But my word is mind-blowingly, you know, unbelievable. It's the truth. The God of the cosmos, who made 10,000 billion stars in 10,000 million galaxies, who worked out the rules that make atoms do what they do, who, for some reason or other, created 50,000 species of beetles on this planet, loves me, and you, and you, and you. Isn't that awesome? Stand up.